Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, the finale of DIY SOS will air this weekend and it is a tearjerker. I'll be meeting the interior designer behind many of the projects in the series. We'll learn about Ireland's first purpose-built cost rental homes and how it all works. I'll be speaking with quantity surveyor Patricia Power about figuring out your home's BE or rating and saving on those expensive energy bills. And Roisin Murphy will be here to chat about no island kitchens and why we should rethink the heart of our home. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106. That'll cost you 30 cent. Or you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live. You can listen back to all of our greatest hits on the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, I was writing during the week about diaries and... The fact that over my life, I've kind of kept intermittent diaries as a teenager, you know, and then when I had a small baby and more recently travelogues and trips of holidays on the basis that my life isn't that interesting otherwise. Um, But what I really love is the process of writing. So I've always loved fountain pens and inks and nibs and all of that. So I was really sad to see during the week that one of Dublin's most iconic shops the pen shop on College Green is to close next month. Gone will be the gorgeous mahogany cabinets, the inky smell and all of those pens. And really, I think what I wanted to ask today was, do you think we've lost the art of handwriting? Has it been ignored in the kind of text and emoji era? I'll be chatting with one of my guests a little later on about that, but I'd love to know what you think. Um, Text me at 53106, email us at com, and let me know what you think about that. Do you still handwrite all your letters? I must say I do. All right. And listen, you're very welcome along to the show this morning. Now, tomorrow is this series finale of DIYSOS, hugely popular programme, uh, and it'll be airing on RTE1. And I got a sneak peek of what to expect on the final show. Uh, Eva Rashkin is an interior designer behind many of the projects, and you'll have seen her on the series, uh, decked out in her hard hat and her high viz and, and telling people where to go and what to do. Now, I have, I'm delighted to say she joins me in studio today. No hard hat. No hard hat today. No. No, 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 not for another couple of weeks. We're back on site, but for day, no. <laughs> Quite right. You don't need one in here. You are very welcome to studio. And um, Thanks this for having me. is kind of a very emotional programme. I mean, it's less about windows and bricks and mortar and much more about people, isn't it? Completely. That's exactly how I say it. This is not a show about construction or design. It's about people and people doing good. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to be part of. It's a really positive energy all the way through. There's a whole community involved. I mean, when you see the people at the beginning and end of the episode coming down the road, in this case, it's it's a home in Waterford, which is being gutted, really. It yes. Has to be said. Uh, coming down afterwards, you realise the sheer number of people involved. Baz Ashmawi, who, who presents the, the programme, said at one stage, where do you get all the people from? I can't even find a plumber at the moment. <laughs> it's but, so true. <laughs> but they do. They turn up, don't they? They turn up and some people come up, come for day one or that. I just thought I'd take a day off and I'd do this. And then they just want to stay for the whole time. They have great crack. They they get the doing good bug. It's just, a, it's an infectious sort of fun buzz on site. It's really hard work, but people seem to just thrive on, on the camaraderie of helping someone out. It never kind of veers into the kind of charity or mawkishness 
uh, though. Like it's it's as if everybody wants to do good for whoever the the homeowner is, but it's never kind of patronising. No, and I think that's one of the things that uh, comes across really well in the show that everyone's is treated with great dignity it's it's just some people are dealt a tougher hand than mm. others and it's about we're all equals coming together just to try and share our skill set or share our talents with, with other people and make someone's life a little bit easier Now we'll come on to Laura who is the homeowner in this episode this final uh, piece and my goodness she she's had things uh, hard although she spent the whole uh, episode kind of with a big smile on her face you know but let me talk to you first Eva, about how you got involved uh, what's your background and how did you get involved in the series my background well I've been uh, in the industry for longer than I care to say at this point about 20 years I'd say um, and I did a, a, a show a few years ago called Design Doctors with the RTE so I got a call um in 2019, I suppose, when we first started to see would I be interested in getting involved in DIY SOS. So I kind of Googled it pretty quickly. I'd heard of the show in the UK version, but I'd never really watched it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of was really intrigued by the giving back element of it. I feel like that's a it's nice to be able to do something. And even like when I'm chatting to my little girls, they kind of it's some it's a legacy that we can kind of pass down. It's like this is a good thing to do to try and help people where you can. So that's really what intrigued me about mm. the show. Mm. Um and it's a new adventure. I like to try new adventures and do something new. We said, well, look, let's let's go for season one, see how we get on. And uh, yeah, still back, season three. <laughs> now, it's very condensed. So, I OK, it's an hour on telly, but it was mentioned during the show that like every hour, and I think you've said this before in an interview, every hour is like two weeks in normal construction time. And having just had a bit of home uh, <laughs> renovations done, I can attest to that. It took a week to put in a window in my house. Um, like it is very intense and there's a lot of people around. How much do you need to know before you get involved in the project? Do you, do you find out all about these people? Do you kind of go shopping in advance for them? Or is it a big team design? Uh, we need to know everything or as much as we can. I always say when, when I'm meeting the families initially, just tell me tell me everything. And a lot of people are very, they're shy about it. They're humble. They don't want to ask for stuff, obviously. Um, and I'm like, no, just give me, just, just sort of, Download as much information to me as you possibly can so I can try and get under the skin of the project. Like a wish list? A wish list and kind of even just some stuff um, like that. It might just be a comment that's kind of said sort of in passing that will strike a chord with me. It's like, oh, that's actually a challenge for them. And all that kind of information is just really good to kind of get to know them. Uh, and then we really dig into the brief, I suppose. Um, there's more than me at Restless Design. I'm the creative director, but there's more than me. So I don't do it all completely alone. And the production company work tirelessly to pull out suppliers and trades. So mm. we would probably start a project sort of eight to ten weeks before we go to site. And the bulk of our work is sort of done then. It's like meticulously planning and drawing, producing drawing packages and schedules and liaising with suppliers and, and back and forth and making sure every single item is selected. You can't go to site without sort of everything mm. ready to go because you, You've you can't... You've got your nine days or yeah. whatever. Yeah, And of course, it, it strikes me that um, this isn't just... I, uh, there's lots and lots of home renovation shows on telly at the moment. I mean, you know, nearly as many as cookery shows <laughs> as far as I can see. But this is not just a nice to have. It's not just a nice box window, you know, kick out an extension and put in a few fancy cushions. This is dealing with people's lives who have, in, in a lot of cases, very particular 
needs. And in this final episode, we meet Laura in Washford uh, and, and she has had a tough time. She has three children under what, about seven? Yeah, yeah. Two Boy. of them are on the autism spectrum. Agreed, yeah. And then she herself has had huge health issues. So in coming to that brief and being mindful of maybe the boys' needs, the twins' needs, what kind of things did you have to take into account? Uh, the boys love to climb. Climb and climb and climb. They'll climb anything. That's kind of their... their that's the biggest concern I think Laura has with them. But it's... I suppose it's their con- they're little energy monkeys. They are all over everything. So she would worry a lot about what they're climbing... Um, will they fall? She, so she has to keep an eye on them constantly. Like having a cup of tea is a challenge for Laura, which is, you know what I mean? You think kind of when you get to the small baby stage that you can kind of relax a little bit. She she doesn't really get to relax. Mm. And then Isabel, the boy's big sister, is kind of helping her mom and kind of, she worries about her mom and like she's only a little a little thing herself. And, you know, that, that stresses Laura out because obviously she wants her to be a little girl. And... So, yeah, that that's the biggest challenge, I, I think, is just the constant attention and care that they need. There's no time off. This is a regular kind of sized house. Um, there's nothing really special about it. Uh, but you made it into something that to me looked a, a lot bigger than it is. But you crammed something into every space. <laughs> I mean, the colour alone, you wouldn't want to be waking up with a hangover in this house. No, no, that's very specific to Laura. Uh, that was kind of a response to Laura and yeah. her personality. We pink, we yellow, orange, green, everything. It's very vibrant. It's very vibrant. Um, you know what I like about Laura's house and a lot of the homes that we work on for DIY is they're really relatable. Like so many people in the country live in houses like this or similar to this. So it's yeah, really this cool. This like a mansion perched on a cliff where you kind of are trying to make the most to the views this is like a three bed suburban yes semi. yes yes yeah. it's a very kind of standard normal house does that make it harder um yes it can do it can do in Laura's case um you know there's nothing to do with wheelchair accessibility but when we have to put a lift into a home that's yeah. really challenging yeah. like we come down to literally millimeters every mm. time mm. um and that's because we're, we're trying to shoehorn pieces into homes that they were never designed for that um with Laura's house because we're um I don't know how much I can give away. <laughs> I better be careful. Um, I suppose our response was to try and elevate the space so it feels as beautiful as it can. I better not give any much more away. All right. Let's take a listen uh, to a clip from the episode tomorrow night. This three bedroom semi in the Waterford City suburb is home to the separated mum and her three children. I bought this house about four years ago on my own. The twins were eight months when I moved in here. And Isabel, she's a year and a half older than them, so they were all quite young. I'm the director of nursing in Mead Park House Nursing Home. What greater privilege than being with someone at the end of their lives and their families? And I won Nurse of the Year a few years back and it was a national award and I was so proud. The champion nurse and director of nursing at a local nursing home was to face the toughest trial of her career in care. I felt the responsibility. Sorry. Her pride and joy twin boys were also in need of constant eyes and ears at home. I noticed first from the age of about nine months, they weren't hitting their milestones. They had autism and, and the duration of my time here has been spent <laughs> setting up an area that's been, you know, homely for them, but safe for them. Hello. 
biggest challenge here, and I have a, a lovely home, and I'm very, very lucky to have it, is safety. They've smashed the television three or four times, hence the screen on the television. My brother often laughs at the Perspex screens drilled onto the TV. I feel by trying to make the house safe for them, I've made it more like a prison. That's Laura Sheridan from Waterford, whose house was completely gutted and renovated by one of my guests uh, here, Aoife Rattigan, uh, as part of a much wider team. Uh, now, that programme airs uh, tomorrow, DIY SOS, The Big Build Ireland. It's at 6.30pm on RTE1 uh, on Sunday evening. Um, what's next for you, Aoife? We're back on site uh, very soon in Cork. I think I'm allowed to say that. There's been a call out, so... Uh, yeah, it's a summer of building. Right. <laughs> We've three more builds lined up for the summer, so. Okay, and Baz in tow, does he drive you mad? Uh, he's very good fun. No, look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, I, we listen, t- we're leaving he, that pause in. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love Baz. I love Baz. I yeah. love how he handles himself on the show because he has a really tricky job because he has to, you know, talk to the families and deal with sort of really sad stories and then hop onto site and have the crack with the lads. Um, so I think he's amazing. I'm a big fan of Baz's. Right. Oh. He does tease me, but uh, every now and then I get a few uh, I get a few one-liners in. <laughs> All right. Well, it's lovely to meet you, Aoife. And the very best of luck with uh, ongoing series and, of course, your own uh, your own business as well. And it's lovely to meet you in studio. Now, if you are watching that, as I said, it's on at 6.30 tomorrow evening and you'll need one accessory with you. And that is a big box of tissues. Aoife Rattigan, thanks a million. Thank you very much. Now, still to come on The Home Show, we'll be talking about the first purpose-built cost rental housing initiative in Ireland. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. And before the break, I was speaking with Aoife Rattigan. She's the interior designer from DIY SOS. And that final episode, uh, which I must say uh, caused a tear to roll down my cheek, it is being aired tomorrow evening. So do tune in for that at 6.30 on RTE. Now, if you want to get in touch with us today, it's 53106 for 30 cent. I'm still asking you about handwriting and diaries and nibs and inks and all that and whether you use them. Uh, And uh, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Now, 50 cost rental homes have officially been opened by the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, this month in Stepside in Dublin. But how does the process work? What are they? And is this potentially the future for housing in Ireland? Well, Fiona Egan, Senior Comms Projects and Policy Advisor with Tua Housing, joins me now. You're very welcome into the studio, Fiona. Hi, thanks, Jeanette. Now, you work with one of the housing bodies that, uh, I suppose, divvy out this kind of housing when it becomes available. And you've been doing that for a very, very long time. Cost rental housing differs from social and affordable housing. So tell our listeners a little bit about what it is. Okay, so Cost Rental is offering a totally new tenure of um, secure affordable housing to the sector. Um, The new housing tenure offers a long-term secure rental option, which will contribute to the development of healthy housing markets. The rent is based solely on the cost of building, managing and maintaining the homes, so it is not linked to the market at all. 
Okay, so there's no like profit for a developer kind of going in there. No. Okay, so in terms of the rents now, you're in Stepside, Dublin 18, very desirable place to live. Yes. Uh, And and I've had a look at these apartments. They're absolutely lovely. There's a range of sizes, isn't that right? The the 50 cost rental in one side are two beds. They're all two beds. But there are one bed and three beds as well within the development. In the social. For social. Okay. So in terms of the rent now up there on that road, it would be pretty expensive in the normal run of events. What is it for people who avail of these particular ones? The two beds in Woodside, the cost rental homes are 1200 Yeah, like that's a big difference, isn't it? It is. If, if you were to compare it, although it's not linked, if you were to yeah. compare it to the market rent, you're looking at almost a 50% um, savings in, in rental. It says something for the profit that is being creamed off on development. I mean, I've spoken to developers and on this show and to hear the bail booked and oh we're only making three and four percent I mean it kind of makes a nonsense of that doesn't it? Well the private market rents are extremely high I mean I spoke to a lot of the tenants who've moved in there and you have people who are living at home who couldn't afford to rent on the private market who are looking to purchase people who were paying almost double that for one beds in different Mm. areas and so yeah I mean for those 50 lucky people because it is a lottery system um they're say, going to save a lot of money and hopefully have really good, secure futures ahead. In terms of, of the tenancy that they get, how, how long can they stay there? Is it long term? So uh, we come under the remit of the RTB. So it is the same. It's it's a six year rolling lease. Mm. The six mo- first six months of any um, tenancy is probation. Um, but yeah. after that, as long as they're good tenants and adhering to their tenancy agreement, they have safety and they security. They get to stay. Absolutely. Uh, now, you mentioned it's a lottery. Uh, you have 50 available. How many do you know applied? Yes, for those 50, over a 1,000 people applied. So wow. it's massively oversubscribed, um, which really tells the, the, story, the current story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and what kinds of people now were lucky enough to get it? Did you just pick them out of a hat or are you assessing them for family need? or? or no, it is a lottery system. So um, people uh, logged on to our website. The uh, the application process was open for a period of seven days and um, people then logged in they were all two beds so in that scenario you you might have a mother and and two children a mother and one child a couple a couple with children they would have had to have been we wouldn't uh, want anyone in overcrowding so um suitable for mm. the two bed apartments now there's an income requirement as well because not everybody can apply for these yes yeah, so the people who apply for these would fall out of the social housing thresholds uh, I suppose middle income earners. Um, so you're looking at the uh, requirement is 53k net. So you have okay, to come so, in under well, that. It's so it's substantial. enough actually, you know, because sometimes when we hear about people on housing lists, um, you know, they really are on the uppers, maybe surviving on social welfare. So these are people who are working, they have an income, it's a reasonable enough income, but it's just not ever going to be enough to pay for the rents. Yes, absolutely. I mean, one girl told me she was renting with her two children and had to get her dad in to, uh, to live with her to afford the private rent. And now she has her own home for her two children. Mm. She's working and studying. Um, so it really provides excellent prospects for her. Yeah. And, and of course, then the stability for kids, they can go to school, they can make friends, knowing that they're not going to be moved on by a landlord in, in a year's time. Yeah, the security of tenure is, is the best thing about it. Obviously the Right. Now, 50, I mean, it's good. But that is nowhere near tapping into the need. So um, this type of model, I mean, it was much vaunted. We've been waiting an awful long time for it because I think 
not just this current housing minister, but previous ones were told for a very long time, this is the way to go. This is what we should be doing. Um, what else is in the pipeline around the country? So I suppose I, uh, from Thu's perspective, we have um, about, we plan on doing about 200, up 200 plus this year alone mm. um, and would have over 100 in the pipeline for next year. Um, and the hope is that we will continue to be looking for more cost rental homes that we yeah. can provide over the next few well, years. Well, I mean, there is a target of 18,000 of these units before 2030. Uh, so that's eight years time. So they really would want to step up on the on the building of them. And I know that as a, as a housing agency, you're kind of the, the broker, the middleman, you know, in, in terms of that process. Do you, are you the ones who, who find the developer, apply for planning permission or is that process elsewhere? We are linking in with developers and trying to source more and more cost rental homes or potential cost rental homes. And that will be our aim to as one of the approved housing bodies uh, in the cost rental scheme. And we will do our best to try and deliver as many cost rental homes as we can. Tell me about how a family reacts when they are handed the keys to one of these properties. Yes, so in the Woodside uh, development, that was actually a a joint initiative. Uh, There was a huge amount of stakeholders involved in that uh, first purpose-built cost rental home scheme. Um, So ourselves and Respond are another approved housing body who are also working on delivering cost rental homes. Um, I did get to witness some of our tenants um, getting their keys and... Just a huge sigh of relief, I think, for a lot of people who were under a lot of pressure. Um, I know one couple were paying almost 2000 so they said they're going to be able to save 800 more mm-hmm. a month, which is a huge amount of money. And potentially they're not looking at staying in cost rental forever. They mm-hmm. said they would like to buy and it gives them that stepping stone, but the security while they're there. Um, yeah, there were tears, definitely people very emotional. I mean, living in the private rented market, it's it's quite unstable and unknown. That's how they described it. Mm. And of course, having their own home, and as you say, they they don't necessarily want to stay there forever, uh, but it allows people that kind of breathing space, that leeway to make plans around, because we hear from people who are trying to save up deposits to buy houses, couples and that, that the hardest bit is having to pay rent and save at the same time. Do you think that this is the model that maybe just allows that happen a little bit more easily? Absolutely. I mean, that was one couple particularly said that to me, that it wasn't their intention, Mm. but it does provide them with that security. And to be able to save potentially 10,000 a year towards a mortgage. Mm. um, And clear clear it then for somebody else to live there. Yes, exactly. Okay. well, there are cost rental developments due to be completed um, in uh, Kilcarbury Grange in Clondalkin, Newcastle County, Dublin, Newbridge in Kildare and over in City West as well. Uh, And that hopefully should see the light of day this year or maybe early next year. Are you involved in some of those? Yes. So Kilcarbury and Parklands, the lottery systems are finished on those. So... That's 118 homes, which will be we will be allocating in the next two months. Mm. So at least the ball is certainly rolling on cost rental now. That's 50 homes allocated last month. And we, as one of the approved housing bodies, have 118 more. So it means there's another 118 more sets of families getting keys in the next few weeks, which is brilliant. Yeah. Happy part of your job? Yes, the best part of my job. <laughs> right. Well, listen, Fiona Egan, uh, uh, Policy Advisor with Tua Housing, thank you very much for joining us on The Home Show. Where can people find out a little bit more if they want to become an applicant for one of these houses? Yes, the so um, I suppose Tua Housing and the other approved housing bodies all on each of our websites. Um, so you, if you look at tuahousing.ie, 
there's a cost rental section. It also has a whole section on FAQs if there's any specific queries anyone has or they can contact us directly. All right. Well, Fiona, thanks a million for joining us in studio. Thank you very much, Sinead. Now, those cost rental homes, of course, are built to the highest of energy standards and lucky are those people who are living in them. But for most of us, uh, we are living in houses that weren't built uh, in the current year and therefore are a little bit older and have varying energy ratings and standards and all of that. But do you know what your home's BER rating is? Uh, the building energy rating. It's very, very important. You'll have to find out if you ever want to sell it. Uh, but of course, it has come into focus now because of the spiralling costs of energy itself. Well, to tell us more about how we can make our home more energy efficient, I am joined once again by quantity surveyor Patricia Power. Welcome back to The Home Show, Patricia. Sinead, a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, BERs, we all know what they should be. It should be an A, it should be a B. Sometimes it's unfortunately a G. Tell yeah. us a little bit about, uh, you know, how that whole process works and how do you find out? Okay, well, I, I, I suppose, that as, you, as you said, it, like it's a really good indicator. Everybody knows that A is really good. It's a new home. It's A-rated. And, you know, it's the tip of the tongue. Everybody would love an A-rated home. But I suppose the, the aim with the new grants is to get a lot of our older homes, which would be a G, an F, even a D, is to get them up to a B2. So that's the aim. Um, now, there's a great little calculator on the Green Hub on Post website. It's the WOW calculator. Um, if you go in and put in the details of your home, OK, as much as you can, when it was built, the type of home, the type of dwelling, etc. It'll give you a rough indicator of whether you are a G or an F or a D or a B. Now, it's not certified. You'll still have to get somebody out to, you know, to qualify that professional. But at least to give you a feel, am I living in a D or am I living in a G? So then, like, to be honest with you, Sinead, every home in Ireland that's been built before 2011 will not, will not be an A mm. and probably not a B. We really didn't insulate homes or put air tightness into homes or renewable heating systems only in the last 10, 11 years. Mm. Is it safe to say that the lower down the alphabet you are, the more expensive it's going to be to fix it? It is. And obviously that is the more expensive home to run. You know, so it goes hand in hand. Mm. Um, But at the same time, there is great grants available. In January this year, the government and the SEAI doubled most of their grants and they brought in a new one which is the one-stop shop Mm. which is really good because what I find is most people don't know where to start they're scratching their heads do they start with the attic do they start with the walls do they start with the window how much do they do how disruptive is it what is the end cost where does it go where's the grants where's the paperwork you know how do they start to get the first thing is the BER how do they know where they are right now so I think the one-stop shop is a brilliant opportunity for people because I I get these questions all the time. Where do we start, Patricia? Help us. So this is a, this is a, a system whereby it's set up. If you apply online, you register. Somebody will come out. They'll talk to you, a professional. They'll guide you on what you have. They'll give you an indication what your BER is, and they'll tell you what you need to do to upgrade your home. And as well as that, they'll give you accurate costs for doing that. And then they will offset the grant against that. So basically, you will pay the cost after the grant is taken off. Mm. And they will manage the work, they'll project manage it, and 
they'll ensure the works are done to the correct standard and they'll give you your new BER at the end of the day when the works are complete. Right. Now, now it does sound like a great system because, as you say, people just get bamboozled by all this stuff and it's usually stuff that homeowners do once in their life. So, I mean, they're not yeah. across it and familiar with all of it. So, so it is a good system. Now, despite, you mentioned there the government, the grants have doubled. Um, there's 8 billion euros going behind these uplift and upgrade projects. But even in the most recent research, less than one in five people said that they are going to go ahead and plan a home retrofit. So, you know, why do you think even with all of the incentives that are there, is there still this disconnect with it's still going to cost me a fortune or I don't know where to start? I I think there's the fear of the unknown to be honest, Sinead, because a lot of people aren't in the industry. And that's what I find when people aren't in construction and they come into it, they're overwhelmed by it. And it's so new. And like it is their home, they're living in it. What is the process going to cause? Is it disruption? Do do they have to move out? So you really need, as I say to everybody that I talk to, you need to get the experts out. You need to plan your home for you. You know, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time for it to kind of process what you need to do and how you're going to do, how you're going to go mm. about it, you know, because if you do have to move out, that is a big disruptive element. And an expensive one, you know, especially in, in the current market. Now, um, yeah. Patricia, lots and lots of people, of course, if they have a few bob to spare, they're only delighted to get kind of what I call the sexy stuff done, the brand new windows and yeah. the big kind of extension and all that. But actually, when it comes to insulation and, you know, trying to make your home more energy efficient, you can start with much cheaper stuff. What are the kind of things that people could do for not a lot of money? Yeah, like uh, what I always say to people, the first thing I would always look at is an attic. Because I say to people, it's like putting a hat on your head. Heat rises. So if you put a hat on your head, it keeps the heat in. So it's the same thing if... You can look at your attic and most people, when I go up to the attic, I say to people, do you have insulation? And I usually get, yes, I have insulation. I go up, it's 100 mil. What we put in new homes now is 400 millimetres depth of insulation. So four times that. Mm. And that is a very cost effective solution. You don't need to move out of your house. It's a few days of disruption, mm. you know, but it's easy, easy, very easily upgraded. After that, again, as you said, Sinead, it's a little bit cosmetic, but it does work. It's upgrading your windows. There is individual grants as well as the one-stop shop grants. There is for certain elements, not for everything. Under the one-stop shop, there is grants for everything, unfortunately. The windows isn't in the individual grants section, which is a pity, to be honest. Mm. Because the windows is another area that's easily changeable within a couple of days, disruption in your home. You know, you can put in nice triple glazed windows and ensure they're installed correctly. Yeah, and you'd, you'd imagine if they included that as a measure, there'd be a run on them. Um, because, you know, yeah. it, it's not just cosmetic. It actually makes a massive difference. And yes. to not include windows just seems a little bit, when, when you're dealing with this amount of investment and funding, it just seems a little bit of a retrograde step, do you think? I do, yeah. Obviously, they're trying to encourage people to do everything. And yeah. that's why they're, you know, they're encouraging to do the one-stop shop. So, so it, there's a grant for it, I, you know, it, there's a grant for kind of getting your windows done as long as you're getting everything else done. Isn't that right? Exactly. Yeah. Which is a little bit unfair, to be honest, because people mightn't be able to do it all together and might want to phase it over the next eight to ten years and do it step by step and do it gradual and take it in their own mm. time, and their own stride when they have the funds in place, as opposed to taking out a loan. 
So, yeah, I do think they probably need to look at that again, to be honest with you, because they should be encouraging every aspect and not just down one route or one alley. Now, you're busy uh, working with On Post on this Green Hub initiative and uh, and I'm sure that you are enjoying that. Uh, but people, of course, will know you possibly best from your work with uh, Dharma Bannon on Room to Improve. Patricia, do you miss him? Um <laughs> <laughs> Always miss Dermot, but I, I have to say, outside the show, we're still in touch and we still work together. So we always we still have the banter and we still have the crack outside of the show. All right, and he still needs minding. Uh, as he far does. As he I does. See. All right, Patricia Barrow, quantity surveyor. Thank you so much for joining us on the Home Show today. Pleasure, Shemit. Now, if you're looking for a kitchen makeover, well, stay tuned. Architect Roisin Murphy will be in for her rather contentious advice after the break and our design clinic is set to return next week. So get your questions in to us, email them to us or uh, text them to us at 53106 or the home show at newstalk.com. And we'll see you back in a few moments. Yes, and you are very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan and I am joined uh, once more uh, by Roisin Murphy. You're very welcome to the show. Bonjour, no. And uh, we are playing that song, which is a bit of a throwback. Of course, neither Roisin nor I remember Dana when uh, she had that hit, but that is something cooking in the kitchen. And we are playing it because we are going to talk a little bit about kitchens. I said before the break that you're views on it are somewhat contentious when it comes to the old islands. Have you changed your mind on the kitchen island? I have. I would say I've been through, it's like I've had a love affair with the kitchen this last year. During Covid, it uh, got a bit stuffy in my pantry kitchen, so I had to build on. We were all in the house for a long time together. But I said, I don't want an island because I've made this big, huge space. I wanted one wall where we could all go and cook together. And then when the space, it's a big space. It was, so when I then was looking at it and the kids were talking about it, um, I decided I would try and put an island in. And it looked great initially. But I had this problem where I extended off the back of the house. So I was Mm. left with what is known as like a pantry kitchen so I built the, and then I built in the other kitchen and I couldn't afford I'm very tight on money and I couldn't afford to remove the original little pantry kitchen so I kind of broke through I did the cheapest build possible and then in the redesign of the extension I incorporated the pantry kitchen into the workings of the new kitchen What's a pantry kitchen Right. Then? Well this is what I accidentally stumbled across there is, uh, because I thought there's actually no point in putting an island in here. And I tried, except I was now left with a giant amount of kitchen and it just looks like, it looks bizarre. So I, I made a movable island, which is one of the, the listeners' suggestions. And that is very helpful. But anyway, a pantry kitchen essentially is, or a butler's kitchen. Okay. So they are coming back into vogue. I haven't, I have accidentally stumbled upon this new trend, which really does emerge from Maybe the... Maybe n- started it. I don't know, Sinead. I don't know. I think it may have been there before me. But anyway, say butlers are pantry kitchen the idea is you have a side kitchen like we have we've seen pantries as cabinets emerge mm. into kitchen designs mm. that were hugely popular for the last year but this is the whole hog this is like if you walk into a room you have a sink you've perhaps incorporating a bit of a utility but it's like having a second kitchen 
So, for example, if you were a Kardashian or you had the caterers over, they would set up in this kitchen and then disperse and come out emerging with their petty fours and all that sort of stuff and land it on the like island. A finishing kitchen. Exactly. Okay. But in that, I was kind of going, because I was I sort of thought I did have a full set of ovens, lovely enough ovens, a dishwasher and everything. And I didn't want... I. I didn't want to eat into the new space, the kitchen, with some of the stuff I thought maybe I could keep in the older part. Okay. And it's worked really well. It is shockingly working incredibly efficiently. There's only one small problem with it. Pantry kitchen is usually associated off the kitchen. My problem is I have to walk through my pantry to the kitchen because it's the linking thing. So it means that you have to have this uber sophisticated looking uh, pantry kitchen. I was surprised by how efficient it worked. Now, the kids all love an island. They talk about going to each other's houses. So there is a big love still for yeah. the island, yeah. particularly when uh, kids come around and they like to put out 110 chicken nuggets. And they, But they like to cook at it as groups of people. So I, I will probably incorporate a mobile island, but really only for when there is people all to, like, so there's a whole load of kids who want to prep together, something like that. It actually means in terms also means that people are taking their food and their plates from the table directly out to a pantry kitchen. Mm, mm. So there's this bizarre route that's like a professional <laughs> restaurant and it's worked really well. And you have those swinging doors you're in and out with your it's a, a bit of that but the other thing is so it does but there's a, the other one is the butler's pantry. So there is and there's a trend really of these very small hyper designed utility rooms. Mm. So it's like the love affair with the utility, we the love affair with the love pantry. a utility. I have Boy, a love very, it. very tiny one in my house, which is disproportionate to the kitchen. So I, I don't like it at all. But what I did, I got rid of my, there was a washer and then a dryer and I got rid of the dryer and the spe- and shelving put up instead. There's difference. Where did you put the dryer? I got rid of it. You got rid Gave of it, it completely. Oh, totally. And you don't need it. No, you, you don't. don't. I, I have never had a dryer. Who I would else? go for space. And that's one of the reasons why the island, to an extent, the island in terms of kitchen designs has owned the kitchen for the last, I would say, 10, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. It's and a, it is handy. But no, but hear me out on this, right? It has monopolised and owned the design of the kitchen, that one wall kitchen where you go and you look at this beautiful expanse of cooker hob sink. Mm. In front of every kitchen you see now is the monoblock of this island and how you design. And it is a real eye blocker. And it is the focal point. It's the first thing you see. And then the kitchen is built around the island rather than the island kind of serving your kitchen needs. So if you're designing a kitchen, Mm -hmm. what are the elements that you ought to be taking into account? Well, okay, there's only only one real rule which I broke this year, which was the fridge, the hob and the sink. That's the golden triangle, the Bermuda Triangle of kitchen design. If you go into any kitchen designers, they'll talk about that. And the island is usually part of that. What I have, and I suppose that's why I'm interested in this, is that I wanted to see if the triangle would change or work or expand or was there any mm. flexibility in this? Because I've stuck rigidly. It's pots and dishes yeah, and all that. I have it? to say, it, 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 to the moment, I am, and, and around that has worked the mystery of the door. So we all, so you have one wall, there's U-shape galley kitchens, one wall kitchens and kitchens with islands and kitchens with peninsulas. They're the mm. five basic mm. shapes. But into this, we are now seeing the arrival back in of the pantry, the utility or the butler's room. And it has shaken, not stirred. It has shaken my foundations of, of I suppose, kitchen design, not just seeing it as a room, but seeing it as incorporated into a house. Roisin, thank you very much. And by the way, will you put some 
I know you have been putting up some pictures. Put up yeah, some more on your Instagram, which is Motion Murphy Architect. And, uh, and people can have a look at that after the show. Um, now, while we're in the kitchen, one of the things I'm using my kitchen for at the moment is to uh, sprout my little seedlings that I want mm-hmm. to put out in the garden uh, later on in the summer. I made the mistake last year putting some of them out a little bit too early and they were frozen to death. Tomatoes and a whole okay. bunch of herbs. And I'm just waiting till they get a little bit higher and they're on a kind of a trivet. Uh, in my kitchen and seeing all that lovely sunshine coming in until they're a bit stronger. When they go out, one of the things I don't have and I've always wanted to have are these raised beds. Yes. And and sometimes, look, I look at like TikTok or whatever and they're made out of pallets and they're all painted and it looks madly creative and I'm thinking... Where can I just buy them? You can, you can <laughs> you just can. buy them. You can just buy them. <laughs> Planters, uh, talk to Irishgarden.ie. <laughs> there are loads of people selling uh, raised feel, beds. Feel inadequate then because you think, oh, here they are making them out of a pallet off the back of a. Oh, lolly look! And if it you looks re- no, the most important thing to do with any of this is to compost. Okay, so all your raised beds and everything. Don't talk to me about wanting to be sustainable unless you're getting your peat from a reasonable. Uh, resort. There's a huge politics about what you're putting in your pot plants in terms of food yeah. and, 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 and plant and soil. Okay, so don't feel guilty about ordering from an Irish website for a, a raised bed, but do feel very guilty if you're not trying in some ways to reduce the, um, I suppose, the the politics around your peat. Mm. Okay, mm. so we're trying to make our own compost. We're trying to do all of that. And that's the bigger one. Can we really, they are so ugly, those compost uh, bins, the, the green plastic ones. Yeah, I know. I yeah. did design an alternative one at one point. But the raised beds thing, I find very interesting because I suppose I... They are a whole aesthetic. It's a rustic, woody kind of look. But they I are. saw something online and that bright, I... You know, nicely... Now, now, they have to be raised because of the drainage issue and it just keeps vermin out as well. So but, raised table bed. I've seen it. I love it. Well, what's that? It's like... Um, it's on. It's a raised bed on legs. A raised bed on yeah. legs. A wooden box. So it, it's so it's accessible. So you don't have to bend down. Okay, I thought, oh, okay. and they are really nice. They're coming at around the same price, about a hundred euros. And I just thought, oh, they look so cool. So it's just like a table with boxes. Yes. Okay. I thought it looked magnificent. Mm. I think the raised bed can sometimes look a bit heavy, and it kind of blocks up the garden. I like the idea that you could use these elements, growing stuff in different types of pots in different ways, rather than just the raised bed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The wall's there anyway. And you can get special, um, I think also putting your raised bed up against a wall so you can grow things up the back of it. I mean, what's not to love in no. terms of gardening anyway and, the, and the raised beds it, it kind of brings the hanging basket to a new to a new level for flowers but also there's a lovely one of the nicest tomato varieties is called Tumbling Tom and it's a tumbling Ooh, like that. tomato that comes Ooh. down and hangs over the top of the basket and it's really sweet little cherry tomato and you, and you have really? to ask in your garden centre because I think the ones to avoid are the ones that have a lot of water in them the big mm. fat tomatoes because if they're grown in perfect conditions where it's really warm that they're lovely they're really nice, yeah. but at home we don't have that. You know, it's a bit too much of the old water. Do, do you need a glass house then? Is there a point? Well, I don't have one, and I had tomatoes yet last year from the end of June yeah. through to November. Because I think that one of the biggest trends in kind of, I suppose, home gardening is these miniature uh, propagators, miniature glass houses. Mm. They look incredible, either yeah. in your interior, fixed on a wall. 
So it's like a little mini greenhouse, like a birdhouse, or alternatively, you can get very, you can get very reasonable orangeries yeah, and, and stuff now. Had them. They were like rolled down. They were small little ones, and I know that yeah. um, that kind of home store, yeah. and Woody's, and place like that. Also, they're kind of tiny little things, but you you roll them down. Actually, I just think a nice sunny spot, a nice window, yeah. get them to a point where they're going to withstand the weather and stick them out in the garden. There's a miniature potted plants on little legs as well. Like there's all these varieties mm. in terms of miniature gardening that's going on for people's rooms. Okay. But I would no say uh, indoors, outdoors, it's still absolutely hopping off Instagram. Mm. Absolutely. All right. Now, uh, you have brought us in, uh, usually at this stage in the show, you bring us in an object of design. Yes. And you, <laughs> she's handing it to me here. This is. Tell me it's not the cutest thing you've one seen. One of my favourite objects <laughs> in life, Roisin, yes. you've brought in. And I was talking at the very top of the show. Yeah about diary keeping and handwriting mm. and fountain mm. pens and nibs and the closure of this, this lovely shop. And do you know what? I yeah. write for a living, but actually yeah. I adore the process and the pleasure of writing with a beautiful pen. And you've brought me in a beautiful pen. Yeah, this is a Pelican pen. It is a, a child's pen. I got it as a present and I have to say, I know John from Penghorn for many years and he I've always bought pens from him, but this one was bought for me from... The pen corner. Uh, it's a pelican one, um, right. and so it has in my little notes. I know, here, and but it's just look beautiful. at the it, look at the uh, just the lid of it. You'll notice the gold lid has yeah. the, this this thing. It, guess what it is? Yeah. Oh yes, yes, yes. What does it look like, Sinead? Oh, it looks like a pelican's beak. It's a pelican's beak. It's so I never cute. Saw that sorry, before. I know. It actually does. It's so <laughs> cute. And sorry, the other thing that they. So I am very sad about the demise of the pen corner because I know yeah. it's there for two generations. But they were a great. But the other thing is, I know people like Pauline Buick, the artist. Mm-hmm. She. Every lots of artists bought pens. Pens weren't aren't just for the scribe. Yeah. They're that thing of that he sold pencils. If you had a budding artist in your family, to draw with ink is a very mm. ink is a very it's a very I used to buy calligraphy nibs yeah. and inks down there and it like everything yeah. under the sun. It's like um I don't know, a bibliophile going into a bookshop. The pen corner really was an institution. Well you've managed to bring us in an object and a building of design. Yeah, sorry, it's not item, which is lovely. Roisin, thank you very much. Roisin Murphy You're architect welcome. on Instagram and uh, for all that information and that is all we have time for on the show today if you'd like to get involved or you have a question you want to throw we've our design clinic back uh, on interiors and design questions so if you have anything you'd like uh, to ask well then pop it into us on text at 53106 or email at the home show at newstalk.com and we will do uh, our best to get it answered by our experts uh, and don't forget that you can check with us at any time uh, I am in the RDS uh, this weekend today and tomorrow at 3pm I'll be talking about boring things like inheritance and fair deal but they do uh, they do uh, come into play and they the house is implicated in a lot of those things so if you find yourself in the vicinity of uh, Balls Bridge uh, do come along it's free in and don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast which is up on the News Talk website thank you to Roisin Murphy again uh, thank you to Marisa Sullivan who is producing and Stephen McLoon on sound have a great weekend and remember we're here every Saturday at 8am <laughs> 